I can't come up here without honoring my father. A lot of you know my father is Apostle Paul Tucker, who went to be with Jesus about a year and a half ago already. And we really had a gift because a few weeks before he passed away, he had been with us in Belize for three weeks ministering. What a gift we had. And, uh, you know, you never know what tomorrow holds. You never know what to, later on what, what's going to happen in the next hour. But when you have your, your heart prepared for Jesus, you know, you know what your destination is, so you don't have to live in fear. My mom asked me that I would greet you, and um, my mom is continuing, and we're, we're all continuing with my father's ministry, Spirit Power Ministries, and she is currently um, uh, supporting several missionaries. So if anybody would like to... To, to, to give into that ministry. That ministry is still going on, Spirit Power Ministries, and you can contact me later, and I can tell you how to do that. Uh, we're going to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm so thankful that Pastor Richard said I have until 2 o'clock this afternoon, so put on your seat belts and, you know, no, I'm just kidding. But we'll just see what the Holy Spirit has for us. I really hope that one of the things that my dad would tell me, he says, Colleen, when you read the scripture, don't read just the scriptures. Don't just read the verses, but read the words. And I really want you to pay attention, especially for this first portion of scripture, to the words that I'm reading, because they're really powerful. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sin, sins led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. People come to church week after week. They hear the truth but they don't receive the truth. They get a lot of knowledge, but they don't know how to apply it to their lives. It tells us that there will be a lot of people wearing a sugar-coated Christianity that looks and sounds good, but there's no power. I want to have power in me. I don't want to be a sugar-coated Christian. I mean, people are just, they're sick of fakes. They're sick of hypocrites. And so it's not about being religious. I'm going to be taking my main message from 1 Kings chapter 18, and, and Elijah's about to teach us a lesson that we should already know about fake Christianity, that it's totally unacceptable. I need to ask you today, what's in your barrel? What is in your barrel? What are you prepared for? What are you preparing today that could happen tomorrow. When the chips are down, you've got to have something real that, that you, can, you can grab from. Because a lot of people, 
they're, they're living a fakey life. They don't have the real power like Pastor Richard was talking about, the power of the Holy Spirit that is accessible for us. It's not only accessible for the pastor or the missionary or the church leader, it's acceptable for each person here. God wants to use each one of you. He's got a, he's got a purpose for you that he has designed you for. There's a watered-down gospel that, are, that will never light the fire of people. We need, we need a gospel that is truth, that talks about the blood of Jesus. People don't like to hear about the blood of Jesus because, my goodness, that makes me feel uncomfortable. They want, a, they want a, a, a sermon full of warm fuzzy so that when they leave church, they feel good. They feel about good about themselves. But see, when we talk about the blood of Jesus, it brings conviction. I want to be convicted. I want the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit to come and tap me on the shoulder and say, Colleen, what are you, what are you doing? Which way are you going? Are you becoming lukewarm? If you look like a Christian on the outside, but on the inside, the power is gone, what good is it? There's a lot of people who know how to speak Christianese. Oh, they, they're really good at that. But there's no fruit. People come and, and they, they pick their fruit and it's fakey. It's artificial. God wants to light a fire in us. Godless people sense their spiritual emptiness in the moment of testing. Cancer, death, divorce, my son's on drugs, I've been laid off, my 16-year-old daughter's pregnant. What should I do? We all have things that happen in our lives, and, and it, it tests us. I preached a sermon at our home church recently about how, how you know, pressure brings out the, you know, brings purity in our life because it brings to the surface the things that, that God is still wanting to do. I won't start on that sermon, but it's a powerful sermon. <laughs> So our, our, our barrel must be full. When I, back in 2016, I fell while we were working on this pastor's home. Now there were rats coming out uh, that lived underneath the, 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 the bathtub. You know, like I said, the black scorpions, the, the, the walls moved because there were so many termites. You can imagine the bacteria in that place. And I fell and I hit my leg and I got just a little scratch. And I, and out of that, I won't go into all the details, but I, my, turn, my leg turned black. I mean black, black. I did not know if I was going to lose my leg. We had to get him. I spent some time in the hospital down there. Um, it was pretty scary. All I kept saying was, can I please go back to the States? Can I please? Because medical is not really great down there. We finally took an emergency flight home. As soon as we landed, John took me right immediately to the hospital. They said, you've got some kind of exotic infection. And... And anyway, and I, I also herniated a disc in my back. So I spent three months in my bedroom. And I laid there not knowing if I was going to lose my leg, not knowing if I was going to ever walk again. But you know what? I had joy. Now, I didn't like my circumstance. But see, there's a difference between having joy and being happy. 
Happiness is based on circumstance. Things are great, you're happy. Things aren't so great, you're, you know, miserable. But when you have the joy of the Lord, that is supernatural. It's something I can't explain. And I had a knowing in my spirit that it's well with my soul. It's not because I'm such a fantastic Christian, because I've got a fantastic God. So it's wonderful that I'm, I'm walking. I still have my leg. I've got a bad scar. Every time I look at it, it reminds me of what God did in my life, and I'm very grateful. Some teach you if you get sick or suffer, you're, you're in sin. I don't believe that's always true. And I'm going to show you in the scripture that it's not always true. It tells us, Peter tells us that we're called to suffer. It says in 1 Peter 2, 19 and 21, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it that, to your credit, if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you will be called because God, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And 1 Peter 4, 12 and 6 through 16 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeals that come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the suffering of Christ, for that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of, of, of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should be not as, as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Recently, I was in the hospital and just a few weeks ago with heart problems, and um, I still don't know what's totally what's going on. I have to go through some tests. So I don't know what my medical future holds, but I know who holds my future. My biggest disappointment is we were supposed to leave the first week in September to go um, back to Belize, and my heart is always being tugged. I want to go so bad. And so I'm, I'm disappointed, but I choose to trust God. He has a plan. He has a reason for us to be here. And none of this is a surprise to him. So we'll probably go through some trials and, and tr suffering. That's why I ask again, what is in your barrel? We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, not just come on Sunday morning and, and just hope that there's enough to, to get us through the week, but every day, Holy Spirit, fill me. Refill me for this day. We, I, we need to be in the word. We need to have a relationship. If I did not talk to my husband on a daily basis, we probably would not still be married 45 years later. He, he, we, he needs, we need communication. We need to invest in each other. The same with my relationship with the Lord. He wants me to talk to him. He wants to hear me, my voice. He wants me to say, to hear me say, I love you, I appreciate you, I'm grateful. He wants to, he wants to have that, that relationship with us. We live in a generation that tries to imitate the power of God in religious services, but it really leaves God out of, out of, in, of their actions. They don't know how they, they, they talk like a Christian, but they act like the devil. 
We're consumed with self, we, what we want. We don't ask God what he wants. We go off with our own plans, and we wonder why he's not blessing them, but, but he, never, he was never included in the decision-making. It's not about what we want. We're not here to build our kingdom. We're here to build his kingdom. So we're going to be turning to 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're going to look at Elijah. Elijah came along at a time when the land needed some, a confrontational leader. If you will remember, King Ahab and his crafty wife Jezebel were in control. And they were very wicked. They, they got Israel to turn away from, from God and start worshiping Baal. And anyone who worshiped Jehovah's was put to trial or put to death. And so we're going to see a showdown here that happens. But in the meantime, before that, Elijah tells, tells Ahab, because of your wickedness, God's going to put a, a, a curse. There's, going to, there, there's not going to be any rain or dew for the next few years. And so... Um, Excuse me a minute. It tells us in uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 25 and 26, that the heavens were shut up for three and a half years. Three years and six months. And God sent Elijah into the wilderness and had him sit at the, the, by the brook of Cherith. And he drank from the brook, and the, the ravens brought him bread and meat. Then God sent him to Seraphath. And uh, when he got there, there was this widow woman, and she didn't have much food. She was just about ready to eat her last meal. And Elijah tells her, you know, bring me, bring me a, a meal. And um, because of her obedience, the Lord filled her barrels. For the next few years, she had food. Every time she went to her barrel, there was meat, meal, and there was, there was oil for her to be able to cook her meal. But while, she, while Elijah was still there, her son died. Talk about getting kicked while you're down. I mean, my goodness, that must have been so discouraging. But God used Elijah to raise that young man from the dead. Now, during this period of time, the reason why I'm, I'm sharing these, just a little snippet of those stories, I didn't go into much detail, but God was preparing Elijah through all these instances at the brook with this woman healing the boy. He was preparing him for a time when he was going to use him to stand in power and, 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 and declare that the fire of God was going to come down from heaven. I want you to know that the trials you're going through today are preparing you for something in the future. Don't lose hope. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He wants to use you. He's preparing you for something greater. Jezebel was out massacring the prophets, and Obadiah feared God, so he went and took 100 of these prophets, and he put 50 in two different caves, and he went and took them water and food and took care of them. And he didn't want Ahab to know about this because he was afraid of Ahab. Now, Ahab 
was so angry with Elijah because of this, this curse that had been put on the people. And, you know, it's interesting how when people are in sin, they're looking for somebody else to put the blame on. So he's blaming Elijah for this when it was his own sin that brought it on himself. So he tells Obadiah, he said, you know, I want you to go out and I, I, I want you to find, Elijah tells Obadiah, I want you to go find Ahab, I want to talk to him. And Obadiah was afraid. And so um, I'm going to have John come and read. We're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 25. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves, <clears throat> and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances, and the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear, O Lord, hear me that these people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned your, their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them. So just to recap, before this particular portion of scripture, Elijah met with 
Ahab. And Ahab did not have a repentant heart. So Elijah knew that he had to deal with this. He had to confront the king and his wife, Jezebel, and the priests. Many had been led away to start serving Baal. And so Elijah had to show them who the real God was, who was the God of power. At Mount Carmel, um, Elijah challenged 450 priests of Baal, a showdown. And Elijah said, call on your God, I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the people, the priests of Baal agreed, and the showdown uh, uh, um, commenced. And they, the, when the priests of Baal were cutting themselves, they were doing all kinds of antics, and nothing was happening. The fire was not coming down on their altar. Baal did not answer, no fire fell. And the priests of Baal gave up in frustration. Now it was time for Elijah to show the power of, of the Lord God Almighty. And so he invites the people to come, and, and he makes it so impossible that there's no way that this could not happen without a miracle. So he didn't just build the art, you know, the, rebuild the altar. He rebuilt it, took the 12 stones to, to represent each of the, um, the, uh, the, the Israel, tribes of Israel. And he rebuilt the altar, but he also made a real deep trench. Then he tells the people, he said, we're going to put the wood on here and cut the bullocks, and, and, and he gave the orders. Then he said, you know, fill four barrels of water. Now, a barrel of water is not like a, a bucket. A barrel was what they would come with buckets, and they would fill the barrel. And he not only said, bring four, but he said, said that three times. He drenched that altar, just drenched it and drenched it. But I want to ask you, think about this. There had just been a drought for three and a half years. Where did all that water come from? Those people were prepared. They had been filling their barrel for such a time as this. It cost them something. They didn't know if the drought was over, but yet they were willing. I mean, it's going to cost you something to keep your barrel filled. It's going to take some investment. And they were willing to invest. They were bringing water during a drought. What are we willing to give? What are we willing to invest in, our, in ourselves? So Elijah prays and the fire comes down and God shows up. The people that had been brainwashed into the teachings of the ballistic philosophy Anything and everything goes. Does that sound familiar? That's what we're seeing here. We're seeing Baal worship. Let's face it. The, e the, teach the easy teachings are easy to follow. People like that. They like it, you know. You know, you can live however you want because after all, God's grace will, will cover you. That's a heavy teaching going on out there. I believe very strongly in God's grace. But I believe also in living, trying our best to live like Jesus. That's what Christian means. Christ-like. So we do our best to live like Jesus and, and we'll fail because we're human and that's where God's grace comes in and covers us. So Elijah had to make everything seem impossible when he drenched the altars. Only God could take a drenched altar and ignite it. 
this fire. Elijah was the conduit through which the power came through on that day. Are you willing to be the conduit that the power of God will come through and, te- and, and, and touch some of these people who have become Baal worshipers? They're blinded. They've been deceived. What's the ultimate purpose of the church to bring glory and honor to God? And I ask you once again, what's in your barrel? The widow woman was willing to give what was in her barrel. Most of us want to hold on to the little that we have. It reminds me of the story of the, there was a jar with a peanut in it, and a monkey come along, and he wanted that peanut, and he put his hand in that jar. He grabbed hold of that peanut, but when he went to pull it out to eat it, he couldn't get rid, he couldn't get his fist out. But he was, he was refused to let go of that peanut, and so he starved to death. What are we hanging on to so tightly that we're starving spiritually? We need to let go, and it's not easy. It's not always easy to have to be filling our barrel. I mean, doubt comes in. Hopeless situations come in. Some of these health situations that I talked about, they come in. And the devil would come and whisper in our ear and say, it's hopeless. We all experience the circumstances, the sicknesses, our bodies are deteriorating. Guess what? You know, we're all going to die. You're going to die someday unless Jesus comes before we die. We're all going to die. So our bodies are deteriorating. We can't do what we did when we were 20. I can think I'm going to, and I try sometimes, but financial crisis, marriages are fractured. Friendships, they're, they're fractured. Are we willing to forgive and go forward? It might be all of a sudden a sudden pandemic. Nobody saw that coming, not, especially not to the height that it came. There might be any of 10,000 other things, but the fact is, There are times when life appears hopeless. There are times when we're afraid. But if we'll allow God to fill our barrel when those those times of confrontation come in our life, we have something to to draw from. My daughter-in-law called. I had preached on Sunday. My daughter-in-law was there. And um, some of my relatives came. and, And I preached. And I was talking about, you know, I find myself going around the same mountain, you know, the mountain of difficulty, the mountain of discouragement, the mountain of doubt. But you know what? My trips are getting shorter. Because I'm seeing this, the scenery is, is similar. And it's, wait a minute, Colleen. God was faithful last time you were going around this mountain. He's going to help you next time. So when my daughter-in-law, when I, when I first found out the results of of my stress echo wasn't good for my heart and she says mom are you are you are you you know are you concerned you know how is it affecting you emotionally and I said honey I said you remember I said I found myself going around a mountain but my trips are getting shorter I don't like it it's okay to not like it but we got to trust the Lord 
and I can trust God because he holds my future. I have an ultimate destination. If you've asked Jesus Christ in your heart, you have an ultimate destination. But Jesus wants us to enjoy the journey as well. And so the best way to enjoy the journey is to travel it with trust that the Lord, uh, uh, he, he, he um, t t uh, orders our steps. Our duty, duty is not to try to solve the problems or plan our path so that it runs art smooth. Our duty is to trust God that he will direct our path. And if we misstep, that he is, his grace is there to get us back on track. Amen. So complete, continue to fill your barrel. Amen. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your goodness and your grace in our lives. And we thank you, Father, that you are faithful. You never fail us, Lord. I thank you, Father, for your forgiveness, Lord, that we can come with a repentive heart and you will forgive us our sins. We thank you, Lord, that you see each person here in their situation. No, I don't know what they're going through, but Lord, you know them. I pray, Father, that you administer peace. I pray, Lord, that you administer that supernatural peace, the same one that Jesus had when he was going through the storm. Lord, that you will give them joy, that supernatural joy that only comes from above. And we just thank you for your blessings and for your goodness. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Just want to mention, if anyone wants prayer, we're not in a rush, we're here. We'll be willing to pray with you. We have ministry cards on the back tables. If, if you'd like to take one, put it in your Bible or hang it on your, your uh, fridge to remember to pray for us, we'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Pastor Richard.